Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Brother Derek, how you doing today? Great. This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm so excited about it. Yes, we have uh, Brother Nate Bird with the Black Menaces joining us today on Beyond the Block. Uh, I don't know how you guys have not heard of the Black Menaces by this point. You would have to be living under a rock, but they are the uh, five Black BYU students who have been uh, causing a stir on social media. Uh, they started on TikTok. And uh, their, their influence is pretty global now. But basically, they just be out here asking the right questions and uh, drawing attention and shining light on uh, dark spots that need to be revealed, uh, among other things. I will let uh, Nate talk a little bit more about the Menace's mission once we, once we get there. But uh, for the time being, Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, James. Happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Good to see you, Derek. I'm happy to be on the show. Yes, thank you. So uh, let's just start from the top of things. We're going to start with some uh, questions. I'm sure you've heard a bajillion times, but uh, we do want to be thorough. So let's uh, just start with uh, the conception of the uh, menaces. How did things uh, start there? Absolutely. So the Black Menaces started because uh, really as students at BYU, we were just tired, right? And we, you know, we've been doing a lot of activism, a lot of different things behind the scenes for years and years. And not just me, not just the other students there, but, you know, students that came before us, people that have long since graduated, have been trying to change things at BYU. Uh, but the catalyst for the Black student, or for, um, I'm sorry, the catalyst for um, the Black menaces was uh, some comments that were made by Brad Wilcox. He's a professor at BYU, for those who may not know. And he's also a, a higher up leader in the church. He's an ecclesiastical leader in the church. He made some comments that were racist. Uh, sexist, homophobic, all of the above, right? And the, But specifically, he talked about um, African-Americans not being able to receive the priesthood until 1978. He said that uh, what we needed to focus on is instead of wondering why Blacks couldn't get the priesthood until 1978, we needed to wonder why whites couldn't have the priesthood until 1829, which I believe is when the church was organized and when Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were given the priesthood. And so when he made those comments, you know, of course, we heard them. We were upset and we just decided to, to make a reaction video. Um, Sebastian was actually the one who created the TikTok page. We had talked about it, joked about it before, but he actually put that into to action. And um, so we made our reaction video and then we actually started to gain traction on social media, which we weren't expecting. And we we gained followers pretty quick, quick and then just blew up from there. Yeah, it really did uh, blow up from there. And uh, <laughs> now that you guys are where you are, I don't know if uh, the purpose of the channel is the same then as it is now, but I do want to uh, get some clarity on what exactly uh, the menaces hope to accomplish at uh, this point. Like, what would you say if you guys were to whittle it down to a mission statement, what might that uh, look like at this point in time? Oh, man. So the, the Black Menace's goal, you know, it's it's evolved just a little bit since we first started. You know, we started back in February. But uh, I would say that the, the, the mission of the Black Menaces is to spread awareness and to facilitate conversations and just to create change at, at predominantly white institutions. And so that's kind of what, what our main focus has been, is those three things. Very good. Nice and succinct. I like it. Okay. Um, well, Talk about now at this point, uh, I, I guess, uh, how the reception has been since you guys have, uh, you know, started your work. I'm sure it's been varied, but uh, how, how have things been from like your uh, fellow students, from uh, faculty, from administration, just, and, you know, 
et cetera. Like, can you talk a little bit about the reception you guys have received? Um, yeah. So for the most part, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. We have a lot of supporters, a lot of people who love what we're doing. You know, we get recognized probably on a daily basis. You know, I was at the gym earlier this week and you, I can always tell when somebody recognizes me because they just kind of stare at you and you catch them staring. And you're like, OK, that guy knows who I am. Like more than you came up and, What's that? They stare more than usual. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm used to being stared at, but now it's like they stare at you with like excitement. It's like yeah. Before they just stared at you and they weren't excited to see you. They just wondering why you were there. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, people recognize us and they, they come up to us all the time. Hey, I love what you guys are doing. Are you guys the ones on TikTok? I'll oh, keep doing what you're doing. We love it. You know, we've gotten a lot of uh, support from people in that way. Um, you know, as far as response from from BYU, we haven't really gotten much of anything. Uh, they've been very quiet on that front. But there are. Um, some people who are not happy with what we're doing, you know, people who who think that BYU is going down the drain and, you know, I guess BYU purists or Mormon purists, if you will. <laughs> and so there's been a couple of videos. Somebody put out a YouTube video just trying to gain clout. And he, you know, was talking about the black menaces and how we're products of radicalization, something like that. I, I didn't even watch the full video. Yeah. And then a bunch of students, students, and I think former students, and I don't know who all exactly, but they created a petition to stop the radicalization of students at BYU. And they targeted a lot of uh, professors of color. They targeted a lot of professors in the sociology department, Africana studies department. Um, you know, basically anybody who has close contact with a large minority population on campus, they, they accuse them of radicalizing students by teaching critical race theory. Uh, and that position got, you know, thousands of signatures, right? So there's plenty of people who, who don't have much to say in person, but have a lot to say behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, other than that, overwhelming support. And um, yeah, we've we've really enjoyed it. That's great. So I have a question. Could you clarify, are all of you current or former students or how does that dynamic play out? Because I imagine that being a student puts you under a certain power structure that I don't know. How does that work out? Yeah. So uh, all of us are current or former students. I just graduated in April. Uh, Rachel graduates in August. Sebastian is a junior. And then Kylie and Kenethia are both seniors uh, this upcoming year. And so, um, you know, we're, we're all in, in varying levels of, of our college careers, I suppose. But, um, yeah, you know, people always ask us if we're worried about repercussions from or consequences from the university. And uh, not really. You know, there was a, a moment where someone tried to accuse us of, of being violent. Um, or militant. Um, you might have heard about that. That happened right around the same time. We we showed up to Brad Wilcox's class yeah. dressed as Black Panthers yeah. um, to try and, and have a conversation with him, which is something that we'd done before. We had actually had another sit-in with another professor, and it went really well. So we tried to do the same thing again, and he freaked out. He had security there, and um, he didn't want to speak to us. And so, um, you know, they tried to accuse us of being militant. And I guess there was some discussion around uh, making an example out of us, but I don't think, you know, but nothing actually took place. Nothing actually came from that. Um, but yeah, you know, just being students there, we're, we're not doing anything wrong. We're just minding our business and asking students questions. We don't argue with anybody. We don't make any commentary. We just ask the question, thank them and move on. Hmm. And just as a follow-up, you were able to follow up with uh, Brother Wilcox after that initial, uh, I guess, sit-in, were you not? Yes, we were able to sit down with him. I, I was the president of the Black Student Union. And so uh, members of the Black Student Union presidency and then also members of the Black Student Union were able to sit down with him. 
and uh, just have a discussion. And it was, it was, uh, it was what you might expect from <laughs> from a discussion with church officials. Yeah, yeah, a lot of very careful, uh, a lot of tiptoeing, a lot of careful wording, and uh, not really a whole lot of directly confronting you know, what the whole thing was, uh, if I, if yeah. I had to guess. So yeah. And, uh, no action taken whatsoever. Nope. You know, no matter how many times we try to ask, Hey, let's do something about this. Let's make something happen. It's always just words and, uh, no action. It's trying to, it's like pulling teeth to try and get them to do anything. Let me actually ask you about that real quick. Now I'm just, let me frame this by saying I'm currently a student at a theological institution. So I have I already have strong feelings on education, like higher education in general, and also what a theological institution is supposed to do in response to some of the most urgent and important issues that we got going on. Now, I think I just want to highlight, and you may already know this, but with what the Black Menaces have done, you guys have probably done more, okay, you guys have done more to draw attention to the racial injustice and the work that needs to be done at BYU in terms of how we approach race, how we approach uh, LGBTQ folks, and, you know, several other things. You've done more to bring attention to those issues in the last uh, 10 years, it looks like, than BYU on their own with their resources have been able to do on their own. Um, And you guys don't have resources like that, or at least you didn't have resources like well, you, you don't have resources like that. You, do, you just have a lavalier microphone and an iPhone. Like that's all you guys have. And you guys have done an incredible amount of work and have drawn an incredible amount of attention to these issues that BYU has not been able to do in the last several years. Has, has that changed how you feel about the role of the academy in this work or BYU's role in this work? Or has that changed how you felt about higher education in general and what their responsibility is to this work? Like, do you have any strong feelings about that at all? I definitely do. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time serving in the, the Black City Union presidency. I was in it three separate times. And, um, you know, tr- trying to work with, with BYU administrators and with, with professors and, and, and things like that was difficult. And there were varying levels of of support. Honestly, I got a lot of support from professors in certain programs, uh, but it's the administration that really is, um, I guess you put it best, the impotent, right, when it comes to, to racial issues and progress. And so I would say my perspective has definitely changed over time. It's become much more cynical because I realized just how much politics is involved and how much the church is involved with the school and how much the politics of the church and the politics of the state and the members of the church play into, you know, how much racial progress the university makes. Um, you know, it, I do think it is a, a conscious decision, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. There's a decision that's being made to prevent certain um, progress at BYU for the sake of pleasing the majority population of, of the church. You know, there's a lot of very wealthy people who pay tithing to the church who hold certain views and uh, those views determine a lot of what the university does. And I've, I've kind of witnessed that firsthand, um, mm-hmm. you know? And so 
um, you know, with us being able to, to do what we have done with the Black menaces, it just kind of shows that there's a difference in priorities, right? Our priority is to spread awareness. Our priority is to make change. And so that's what we've done. And BYU's priority is to preserve the status quo. And that's what they've done. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, have noticed that too. And uh, definitely preaching to the choir in terms of seeing firsthand what, you know, it looks like when the people who are supposed to be on your side are catering to the interests of people who would see you be quiet. Um, that, that has to be a frustrating thing, which kind of uh, brings me to my next question. Can, can you tell about, can you talk about the experience of, um, you know, just being a menace, uh, particularly going on campus and doing this work that you guys be doing? Uh, can you, like, has it been healing? Has it been frustrating or harmful in any ways? Has it been both? And can you, can you talk about that? It has definitely been healing. I think that's a good word for it. Um, also just exhilarating. You know, at, at BYU, a lot of the times when I go onto campus, I, I don't really go there anymore. But when I did go to campus, um, it wasn't ever a, a good feeling. It was always like, let me get on here, do my business and get off of this campus. You know, it was never someplace that I wanted to stay. Um, but being able to be with the Black Menaces was a powerful feeling. I felt very empowered when I was with a group of, of, of friends, of, of peers, of like-minded people, and we're walking around and we're interviewing other people. There's just something very powerful about that feeling. Um, and it was a power that I realized I had never felt at BYU. Uh, just the ability to, to feel like I had some, some more semblance of control, I guess. Um, but, you know, being able to talk to people and, and hear the things that they say and then be able to put those things out there has been very healing because we've heard these things. We know that these things exist and not just at BYU, but at PWIs all over the country. Right. And so um, being able to actually get these things recorded and then put out there to the world for other people to see, wow, these are this is what people think. These are what people believe. Uh, that's been very, very healing because it's like, man, finally, finally, other people know what we're going through. Other people can see and understand that things are not as different or things are not as good as, as people make it out to be. Uh, so in that way, I would definitely say it's been healing. Um, you know, it's been, you know, all of us have expressed at some point or other uh, how much Black menaces has meant to us, you know, just within our little, our little group. Uh, it's really done a lot for all of us. I have noticed that, uh, I mean, first of all, like, when I first saw the Black Menaces, I have noticed that uh, I, I was grateful that people can see that I was not being hyperbolic when I talked about the things I dealt with at BYU. I was like, y'all see this? This is real. I wasn't making this up. I wasn't exaggerating. Like, this is 100% real. But also as uh, at my big age, you know, having been far removed from my BYU experience, it did break my heart a little bit to know that this was still a thing happening at BYU, uh, you know, over a decade later, the black students are still dealing with this stuff. So, uh, I mean, just seeing that it didn't get better with time. It didn't get better with age. Like the younger generation apparently is supposed to be the ones that like rescue us from our bigotry and from all these other stuff, but like, it's still a thing. And, uh, you know, that was a, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised by that, but like it was a little bit jarring to like see that in real time that this was still something that young people were dealing with. So I wondered if you had any uh, feelings, I suppose, about 
perhaps what the way forward uh, might look like. I've heard some of y'all on other shows or in other publications talk about uh, JEI or DEI work in uh, the church buildings. I was wondering if that's something you felt would help or if you had any other ideas about what the church could do or what we could do uh, to potentially move the church forward or I guess more into line with what we're supposed to be as uh, you know, the restored global church of Christ. Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing for the church to really make any real progress, they need to stop caring so much about their image, uh, preserving that image and, and, and focus more on, um, on doing what's right. All right. The, you know, the savior never cared about what he looked like to the elite. He cared about um, whether or not the right thing was being done. And he, he had no, you know, he made no excuses about that. Um, and I think unfortunately, um, you know, the, the church is a business, right? You know, it's, they do have an image to uphold, uh, but uh, in the midst of trying to uphold this particular image, they, they sacrifice um, the, the well-being of a lot of their members, a lot of their saints, um, namely marginalized saints, saints of, saints of color. And so uh, I think the first thing would be to just acknowledge, acknowledge that, right? You know, there's been a lot of, I feel, super uh, superficial efforts to try and and change that i think probably the like most the notable being the yeah oh my goodness don't even get me started on that <laughs> yeah uh, that's one of them that committee yeah. um you know they are opening up an office of belonging but even that um, what know, does that even they, mean by the way belonging yeah like, what they're not even that? saying that <laughs> they're not even so, saying so i have a story about that so it comes okay. from the race report um so that committee was formed they did they made the report and the very first recommendation on that report is to open an office of diversity and belonging at BYU. And so BYU's response to that was, well, we're gonna open up an office of belonging. And so I asked some of the people in charge of creating that, I said, well, you know, actually it was the president of the university. I asked President Worthen in a meeting, I said, hey, why, um, why aren't we calling it an office of diversity and belonging? Why did you take the word diversity out? And uh, essentially what he told me, or no, the exact words out of his mouth was that the word diversity is too divisive. He said it was too divisive. And so I said, well, you do realize that, you know, the people that, um, who think it's divisive are the people who don't want it to exist. They're the people that are not, they don't want diversity and belonging. And he said, well, yeah, I understand that, but we're gonna keep it the name that it is. And so, you know, even there, while they've made this effort to, to announce this, office of belonging and, and hire the, the vice president of it and all these things. Uh, you know, I would hope that, that something good can come from that, but even its origins are, are problematic. You know, the fact that they don't want to include diversity in that title. And so, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about what it's going to be like. I, I've, I've met the vice president of belonging. He's a good man. Um, he seems very down to earth, honest guy. So I, I hopefully he can get in there and, and, and make some good changes at BYU. But, um, yeah, I mean, the first thing they got to do is stop trying to worry about that image, stop trying to please certain people and just say, hey, these people are suffering and we're going to do something to change that. We're going to acknowledge that and we're going to move forward with it. All right. Oh, goodness. Just I, I, can, I can hear it in your voice and I can see it in your face a little bit, but just like as we try to hope that 
an initiative started by this institution where so many of these problems exist and already from the inception, we are so scared of trying, of even putting the word diversity in there. Like it, like to me, and you know, pardon me for saying this, that just sounds like something that's doomed to failure. Like at the very least doomed to impotence, just you can't, like if you start from the get go, just not being able to say even say the word diversity, like we're already in trouble, but like you already know that. And uh, let me just cut that out there. I'm just, I'm just venting at this point, but uh, yeah, sorry, Derek, I think I cut you off when you were trying to ask a question. Yeah. So I have to preface this by saying I didn't grow up in the church. I haven't ever lived in Utah. I didn't go to BYU. So in, in what? I said, lucky you. Yeah. So in my head, in my head, in my head, young people are going to be more progressive and a little more woke. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but my hope is that the undergraduate age of of members of the church is going to be a little bit better than uh, their their parents. But then I see your videos, and I'm like, uh oh, the this is the future of the church, right? A lot of these BYU undergrads are going to be the mission presidents and the bishops and the stake presidents and the 70s in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. How do, what, what do you think about the future of this church? Do you see hope or where do you see hope or do you see an avenue for change long term? Because part, in my head, my hope is, oh, just give it another generation and then people will get in power that that uh, can make some change. And then I see your videos and I'm like, we don't have enough people. What do you think? Um, I think that the future of the church is, uh, it's hard to say. It depends on a lot of things. I do know that in the report that, you know, the report that they release at every, I think every year at General Conference, where they talk about membership in the church, I think this is one of the first years that they've seen a decrease in membership. Um, you know, I think it was only a net of like a hundred something thousand new converts to the church this this past year. And it was more people were not in the church than, than they than had joined the previous year. Um, and I think that that's indicative of the how the church is kind of moving away from the direction that society is going. Um, in some ways, that's good, but in other ways, not so much, because um, you know, for example, with the LGBTQ movement, um, the church is, is very strongly centering themselves on the idea that, um, that homosexuality is something that's evil, that's a sin, and that is not, uh, or that's, I guess, punishable by heaven. I don't know what the best way is to say that. But, um, you know, in doing so, they're alienating a lot of members of the church. I think I, I went to a, a pride event last year in Provo, and it talked about how I think 10% of children born into LDS homes are a member of the, the queer community. Um, and so they're alienating those kids that are growing up in the church. Um, you know, they're creating a lot of harmful ideas and feelings and beliefs that just simply aren't true about human beings. Um, and so I think that, you know, if they continue to do things like that, then the church is just going to kind of further polarize itself um, because you know, I know a lot of people of color, a lot of people, who are marginalized, who want nothing to do with the church, or who are moving closer and closer to that. And I think it's going to continue to be that way until eventually all you have left is just, 
you know, what you have in Utah and then outside of the, the country, you know, those who don't experience the same things that we do here in the United States. Well, yeah, and you were right about that, Nate. It had, it had been the first time, at least in, at least since uh, the millennium, where we actually had a decrease in membership and we had a boom, like back around that time, mid early 2000s. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, and I think again, once we lowered the mission age, but yeah, yeah that was a long time ago. And I had mm -hmm. long since served my mission uh, to kind of switch gears a little sorry, bit. Sorry, really quick, just to, to kind of sum that up one more time. I just want to yeah. say, I don't think that uh, the church will be hit very hard. Um, you know, in terms, I think there's, like you said, Derek, there's always going to be a lot of, you know, like the future of the church. There's still a lot of, of people who are, who believe the same way and who will always believe that way. Um, but I think that it'll just become less and less of a safe space for people of color and marginalized people. But that's it. Okay. So to kind of uh, switch gears a little bit, I do have a uh, question about some of the content that you guys have, uh, have released. Uh, obviously, your video where you ask people if they support gay marriage, that is by and far your, your biggest video. I think it's like 20 million views on it or something like that, uh, at mm -hmm. least last I checked. Um, I do want to talk about the ones that stick out more than others for different reasons. Um, and I want to ask you about, uh, I guess, what answers to particular questions have surprised or maybe just affected you the most? Like, I, I definitely got my two or three, but like, I, I want to ask uh, which ones have strongly affected you or surprised you the most? Yeah, so I would say one of the ones that surprised me the most was when we asked for the second time uh, if people supported gay marriage, it was right after general conference. And we got some pretty wild answers um, from that. People were very emboldened by some of the talks that were given in general conference. Um, and so, you know, one person said, I just do what the leaders tell me, man. And then another person said, um, you know, I just do what the proclamation of the family says, you know, so things like that. And then, you know, did someone called um, trans people weird. Uh, you know, there are just a whole lot of things uh, in those questions that we asked, the answers that we received, it was just like, man, you know, this is not, these are people that you're talking about. You know, these are people who have, you know, you believe in agency, but then you also believe that certain people shouldn't make certain choices. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so that one, that one definitely surprised me. Uh, another one that was surprising to me was, I actually wasn't here for this one, but when um, Rachel and Sebastian asked people if they believed the priesthood ban was of God. Um, and then, you know, there were a few people who, we were very quiet, you know, they'd be like, no, I don't think so. And it's like, okay, if you can't yeah. say no right off the bat, then you probably believe otherwise and you just don't want to expose yourself on camera. But there was one kid who said, well, my initial answer is yes, but it's like, you're going to stand there. You know, and Rachel says this all the time. She said, man, I can't believe that guy was going to stand there and look at me in the eyes and say, yes, you you should not have had the priesthood or, mm -hmm. you know, you should have been banned from the temple. That was something that God wanted for you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, to hear that, it's just like, man, you know, you know, these things exist. They teach right. them in the religion classes. They right. teach them in church. They teach them in primary, mm -hmm. um, you know, for kids, you know, all these things. And so it's, it's, it's not a surprise, but it is a shock to just hear that, you know, right. to hear it spoken out loud. So I have a, question kind of following up how do you feel 
about when especially progressives in the church compare LGBTQ folks and then black folks in the church. Of course, knowing that those are not separate groups, there's overlap and there's people, but people talk about them as, oh, let's just compare these two struggles. Like, where do you see that comparison being helpful and where do you see that comparison as being problematic? So I think in a lot of ways, um, our, our experiences are, are similar. Um, and in a lot of ways, they're different. And I think the biggest thing you know, there is, an, there is a lot of overlap because there are still many people in the queer community who are very racist and there are so many people in the black community who are very homophobic, right? So there's, there's, there's room for improvement in every, in every area. Um, but, you know, in the ways that we have been treated uh, as other, um, you know, denied opportunities because of, of who we are, um, you know, those things are very similar. Um, you know, I, I do think that the the queer community they do have a, a kind of a bit of a hand up because the focus is mainly on members of the white queer community you know we know that there are still a lot of people of color in the queer community who are treated horribly you know there's there's uh, cases of, of black trans women going missing all the time um you know a lot of of, of, of murders and, and homophobia and things like that within the black queer community and the Latin, Latinx queer community. Um, and so I think that, you know, the focus there does need to shift because everyone is marginalized. There's tons of overlap and the focus needs to be on everyone. But we can kind of see how uh, the queer movement has definitely made a lot more strides um, politically and in, in, you know, being accepted uh, you know, worldwide and nationwide than has the, the Black community. You know, um, it's unfortunate that that's the case, but it, it is a reality. You know, the, the, while I don't want to discredit anyone's experience and the things that still happen, um, I do think that um, people of color still have it a little bit worse uh, than the majority of the queer community, um, just in general. I hope that's... Uh, I hope I'm not over overstating things, but I, you know, from from what I have seen and from my experience, I do think that it is definitely harder to get things done. Because even at BYU, um, you know, there's still a whole lot of terrible stuff that's going on. You know, they're still mistreating queer people, but at least there's some kind of a discussion about that. And and with people of color, there just hasn't been that discussion. If there is a discussion, it doesn't uh, it doesn't go very far. Like, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't progress. And, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Sorry, Derek, you have a follow-up? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's all, that's all very, very fair. I very valid. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for lending your voices to, um, LGBTQ issues. I think, um, I hate to uh, quote Dr. King again to black (laughs) folks, but injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Exactly. And, a lot of these oppressions uh, that are inter- uh, um, entangled with one another, and there's overlaps in the solutions and overlaps in the causes. It's not the same, right? But I think having these conversations together is better than having them separately. But we still have to. One thing I don't want to do is so many white progressives in the church is, oh, we can fix the LGBT thing just like we fixed racism and whoa, we did not fix racism. So we cannot say that. 
But that's the attitude of a lot of people is that, oh, we dealt with that and we're done and mm -hmm. we're not. And we're going to be, sadly, dealing with racism a lot longer than the LGBTQ issue because I think that will get fixed uh, relatively quickly, at least for white LGBT folks. And we're going to still be dealing with racism um, both in America and in the church f for centuries. I'm sorry. Unless we do something about it. Unless... And uh, that's one thing that you guys are have been very good at doing is, uh, you know, at least shining a light on these issues and making the conversation unavoidable. And this is something that uh, BYU has really struggled with doing, but you have made it so that people can't really ignore this. Like the rest of the world, literally the rest of the world is laughing at us right now. And I, the moment I knew you guys made it, like really, really made it was when I saw people in like England like parodying your videos and then i saw like i saw duolingo do a parody of your videos <laughs> and i was like oh my god well first of all the fact that duolingo did it was amazing but also like it was the owl going around asking do you think owl lives matter or do you think owls deserve rights and it was just like oh that's how we look to the rest of the world huh yeah. Sooner or later, we got to do some about this. And that's what I love most about what you guys are doing. Uh, you are causing like you guys aren't even necessarily saying anything. You're just being like, look what's happening over here. And people are just like, that's what's happening over there. And uh, now BYU members of the church are being forced to reckon with in a, I guess, I don't even think it's an unpleasant way. It's uncomfortable, but I don't even think it's that unpleasant. They're just like, oh, there's something wrong with us or something wrong with what we're doing, and we should probably look at it. So that's something I really appreciate about uh, what you guys do is just all y'all are doing is shining a light, but it's a significant thing you're doing. Yeah, and I think the brilliant piece of it is that it makes or is inclined to make people's oppression and bigotry costly. Uh, yeah, because yeah. change doesn't happen by people being nice and going up to them and asking for, for change and they just change because they're nice. They change because something about retaining the injustice becomes costly for them. And this is starting to make it costly for them in terms of the image that they so care about and so idolize. If we, uh, it is known how problematic we are then BYU is gonna have to face it. Like mm -hmm. if their graduates don't get jobs and no one wants to hire you, they're gonna have to change some things because of the reputation of the school. That's and what so, I was trying to get to. Sorry, idolatry. You're pointing to our idolatry. Yeah, like you gotta attack them at their idol, the image, the budget, right? Like if, if BYU becomes so unpopular that they don't get money, if they don't get um professional standards right if they don't it's gonna it's gonna affect them and like i think it was dr king also said that every budget is a moral document looking at byu's income looking at their expenses you can see where their treasure is their heart is also right mm -hmm. so um you're preach a word derek Oh, sorry. I, I I know it's I shouldn't be quoting Dr. King to black no, people, but I'm it. white. I just can't stop myself. Sorry. <laughs> but but he's one of my heroes, of course, too. And not only him, like all all of our 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 black ancestors in the in the fight are are people that um, I I look to. 
Uh, this brings me to uh, one more question I kind of want to ask. Uh, it, it, it surprised me. I think I heard this guy on your uh, inaugural episode of uh, your podcast, but uh, apparently one of the most frequently asked questions to you guys is if you're members of the church. And I think one thing that uh, the Black Menaces brought to light uh, in addition to all the mess up stuff happening on BYU campus was unapologetic blackness in Mormonism. That is not something people are accustomed to seeing. So I was wondering if you guys, well, I guess if you, Nate, had any feelings about the subtext of getting such a question as, are you a member of the church? Um, yeah, so I feel as though, you know, in the context that we get it through black menaces, it's a little bit different just because um you know the questions that we're asking and the things that we're doing go against the the normal grain of the church right mm-hmm. you know we're out here like you said we're being unapologetically black and then we're also asking these questions that that deal with issues that the church deals with directly um and so i think in that you know there might be a lot of people who wonder hey are you guys members of the church um but you know i got that question a lot before i ever became a black menace right um, people always asking are you a member or when did you join the church or are you a convert? Those kinds mm-hmm. of things. It's never, you know, did you grow up in the church or just the assumption It's always, when did you join the church? You know, because even if people want to admit it, they know that the church is not for black people. And mm-hmm. so they know that there are not family, there, there are not very many black families in this church, um, you know, with children who grew up in it. Right. So, you know, and I, I was one of those families, my parents joined the church a little bit before I was born. And so I grew up a member of the church. Um, and that's just not common. You know, every war that I was in, I was, you know, I was, uh, our family was the only black family. And so uh, the idea is there. It's just something that people refuse to talk about or admit. And um, I think that, you know, in the, in the context of that question, I, I guess I'm used to it. And I don't mind answering it in the context of black menaces, but outside of that, it can be it can be frustrating because it's just one more indicator of you don't belong here. Why are you here? It's kind of the equivalent of asking a black person, where are you from? You know, where are you really from? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's another layer of that inside the church. Why are you here? Right. And I guess the last question I got is, uh, you know, with regard to the, to the menaces, you, you guys have uh, a great deal of influence now. You just uh, announced your podcast. Uh, the first episode just dropped at the beginning of the month. Um, I, I just want to ask, what is next for the menaces? And in addition to this pod, well, I guess, what can you tell us about uh, the podcast? What's going to be the focus of it? Uh, where's it going to go? And uh, yeah, what else is next? Absolutely. So we got a lot of big things planned. Um, you know, we weren't expecting to get this platform, but we all have dreams of, of activism and, and wanting to do good within the communities that we serve. And so, you know, since we were, were blessed with this platform so quickly, it took us a little bit to, to just kind of get our feet under us. But now we're starting to do that. And so we've launched our podcast. It drops every Wednesday um, or it'll drop once a week. Um, you know, it's going to be me and Rachel. And eventually we're going to have people on their interviews. Um, talking with different members of different communities. So we want to have people from the the queer community. We want to have people from the black community, the transracial adoptive community, the biracial community. We want to talk to people from all different walks of life um, and get their perspectives a little bit. And then, you know, Rachel and I will also talk about our experiences and and our thoughts on certain things. And then also 
we want people to send us in their questions and share their experiences with us. Uh, so we call them menace moments. Any, anytime where they've been a menace or had a conversation that was difficult, we want them to send those in and share them with us. And we want to share those on the podcast. If people want, need questions or have questions about conversations that they want to have, then we're going to talk with them about those kinds of things as well. Um, and so, you know, that'll be the main focus of our podcast. Uh, you know, as, as far as other things that we have going on, we do have our merch store. Um, you know, we recently just launched a line of Pride Be a Minute shirts, and uh, 10% of the proceeds from those shirts are going to be going to Encircle Utah out here. Um, they're a really wonderful nonprofit organization that cares for young trans students who've been displaced by their families. Um, you know, and so it's a, it's a way to, to help those kids come into themselves. So we're going to be donating proceeds to that. And we also want to be working with a lot of more nonprofits in the future. Uh, and then the last thing is that we are currently working on expanding because we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, you know, this goes on at my school, too. You should hear the things that they're saying in my university. And so I said, OK, bet. And so we decided to set up menace chapters. And so um, we are working on activating a couple more. Right now, we have one active at San Francisco State University. And they just go around and interview students and uh, ask them the same questions that we ask BYU students. And then we've been you know, posting their answers on, on our, our TikTok page. Um, and so same thing, we've done some at Vanderbilt University, and then we're hoping to start up some chapters at Notre Dame, Baylor, TCU, UConn, and you know, like a few other people, anybody that reaches out to us. So those are really the main things just to expand and spread that awareness and hopefully create some serious change and in institutional policies at PWIs across the nation. Because we're not the only ones that struggle with this. It's a problem at all of these universities, and it's just not something that really gets highlighted very often. Wonderful. Love to see it. Love to see expansion. Yeah, this is amazing. The spirit's on the move here. Really is. Doing our best. You got any final questions, Derek? Well, what is one thing that our listeners could do like even this week, right? There's long-term work that needs to be done, but a lot of people will be listening and like, now they're thinking about it. What, what would you want them to do? Biggest thing I want them to do, I, you know, this is what I tell everyone who asks, you know, what can we do to help? Uh, there are a lot of people out here who are just ignorant and I'm still ignorant myself. You know, I'm constantly learning. And there are you know, new experiences that I am taking myself into as often as I can, learning about different experiences. So inserting themselves into, into spaces that they're not comfortable in, not in an invasive way, but just in a way that, that teaches you something. You know, whether it's, you know, you can go to uh, some kind of, like you can go to a meeting, you can go to a pride parade, you can go to a Black Student Union meeting. You know, there's lots of different things that you can do. You can find a, your local chapter of the NAACP and, and reach out to them and see if there's any volunteer work that you can do. But just finding ways to insert yourselves into uh, circumstances and, and communities that you're not used to being around and learning more about those communities. Uh, because, you know, racism comes from ignorance. And, and, and hate comes from ignorance and all of these things. And so the more that we learn about the people around us, the less reason we'll have to hate them and the more we'll be able to, um, to educate those around us. You know, Because as soon as we educate ourselves, the next step is to go out and educate other people. That's biblical right there. Yeah. And thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. It's a whole there thing. <laughs> all right. Well, Nate Bird, such a pleasure to uh, have you with us today. Um, really enjoyed, really enjoyed this. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you guys don't already know, 
the Black Menaces on both Instagram and TikTok. You guys also recently got well. yourselves on Twitter. Yes. And uh, you guys have a you guys have a website? We do, the blackmenaces.org. You can uh, see our mission and purpose there. You can uh, also buy pride stickers, be a menace t-shirts, and uh, some other things coming soon. You can also see their Cash App and their Venmo handles. So, you know, <laughs> definitely do those as well. And you guys have uh, you guys have launched a Patreon, did you not? We did. It's called the Menace Society. So the Menace Society Patreon gets uh, exclusive video episodes of our podcast. And uh, what's the uh, URL for that? Ooh, I don't know the URL, but if you go on the Patreon and type in Menace Society, it should pop up. Wonderful. And we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. So again, Nate, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, we really do appreciate your time. And of course, what the uh, what the menaces are doing. Keep doing that work, change the world and uh, just otherwise make this a better spot for us. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, hey, Derek thanks. and James, it was a pleasure.